there was more than one pastor on staff at a church. I'm really feeling out of my element at this point, the country bumpkin in the big city. And as my brother introduced us to the pastor, he mentioned where we were from. And this pastor said, oh, you're Plain Jane from Blaine, Maine. And I let that label stick. Because in his defense, I really had always felt that way. Plain, ordinary, kind of insignificant, just sort of always second place. And nobody else had just ever described it quite as well as he did that day. Now, I'm wondering if maybe some of you are coming here this morning with some labels, too. Labels like mine that were given to you when you were younger, or maybe you've kind of given yourself some labels over the years. I'm hoping that as we look at a pretty familiar story in the Bible, and we look at some verses that are are also pretty familiar, and maybe I share a few of my stories, that we can find some of the goo gone that will remove, remove some of those labels. My label remover came in a fairly unusual place. It was a lot of years after that experience that I was deeply engrossed in a Christian romance novel one afternoon when a verse that one of the characters quoted just kind of jumped off the page at me. That verse was Ephesians 2.10. I think I have it memorized, but just in case. (laughs) That verse says, For we are God's workmanship. Some versions will say his masterpiece. Some versions say his handiwork. Today, I'm going to use the word masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus, so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I'm going to put a disclaimer that I think I just put three versions of the Bible together in that verse. But they're all scripture. (laughs) Um, And so... I was really familiar with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, like I think a lot of you who have grown up in the church are. It's one of the verses that we memorized pretty early. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not anything we do. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. I had come to that realization when I was about 10 years old that I was a sinner. Oops, I'm not used to that. I needed to be... I needed forgiveness for my sins and that Christ had provided that forgiveness when he died on the cross and rose again. Um, I had grown up in a church, so I'd heard that message. But when I was about 10, I realized that was something I had to do myself. And so I had prayed that prayer. I had asked Christ to forgive me, to be my Savior, and, and that I would follow him and obey him. But I had never made it to verse 10. I did not feel like God's masterpiece. And this was probably well into my 30s that this happened. But I had never grasped that I was something special, that I was God's masterpiece. Right now, I would like you to close your eyes for a minute and imagine, don't fall asleep, <laughs> imagine the most beautiful place in nature that you've been to. Maybe the summer you were able to go somewhere like Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon. Or maybe when you were a child, there's a gorgeous lake that your family would summer at that is just a, so such a beautiful memory. Um, I love the ocean. Maybe you're an ocean lover like me. And you can just sit there all day watching those waves roll in and listening to the sounds and just being awed by the massive blue water. If you can... Think back to the first time you ever went to that place. How 
awed you were by that beauty. I remember standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon after getting over my initial fear that I was going to fall in because there were no railings at this place. I just, I couldn't put it into words how huge it was and how beautiful the different layers of rock were each a special color and the sun happened to be setting and so you had all the beautiful colors of the sky. It just was magnificent. All right, you can open your eyes. Ladies, that's how God feels about you, about me. He looks at us and he says, you are beautiful. You're incredible. You are magnificent. He proudly proclaims, I made her and she's amazing. Well, I want to look at the story today of a woman in the Bible who didn't feel particularly amazing the day that she met Jesus. She was going to learn through Jesus' love that she was valuable, she was worthwhile, she was an amazing masterpiece. But when we first meet her, we don't even know her name. Um, It's interesting that I did request that song, He Knows My Name, because we don't know the name of this woman. All we know her as is the woman at the well. But Jesus knew her name, and he gave her a new name, his daughter, by the time he was done. She's, when we see her, she's at the well in the middle of the day. When it's hot and it's very tiring to carry water that time of day. Most of the women would have come early in the morning in the cool, nicer part of the day. It was kind of a social event to go to the well. You'd walk there with your friends, you'd laugh, you'd gossip. But since most of the village gossip centered around our woman at the well, she preferred to go alone. As she's mulling in her lonely thoughts, she's kind of pulled out of her solitude by a voice behind her that says, give me a drink. Well, do any of you remember, I know all of you aren't as old as me, but do you remember the 1965 television version of Cinderella? This was the days before DVR, Netflix, Instant Stream, you got one shot once a year to see your favorite movies. And so you were ready. Cinderella was one of my favorites. And I remember the opening scenes. Cinderella is out drawing drawing water from the well because the evil stepmother has commanded her to do this work. When up comes the man on the white horse, the prince. And he looks down at her and humbly asks, could I drink a ladle of that water? I mean, it was, it was just broke. It was tear jerking. (laughs) Totally cheesy, but totally tear jerking. Well, that was the vision that came to my mind as I was kind of reading through this scene of Jesus at the well. Jesus was not on a white horse that day. He was not dressed in princely robes. But by the end of the day, this woman was going to realize that she was in the presence of royalty. Um, She's initially shocked. I'm trying to talk and find this at the same time. She's initially shocked when Jesus even talks to her for two reasons. She's a Samaritan. And she's a woman. Now, on Sunday, for those of you who were here and heard Pastor Neil, he referenced the fact that the ten tribes of Israel that made up the northern kingdom kind of disappeared into history. And one of the reasons that they disappeared is because they had been conquered by Assyria. And this is one of those things I've learned being a homeschool mom. (laughs) Assyria had this great trick. When they would conquer a nation, 
they would take those people and just kind of move them into all of the other nations they had conquered and disperse them into one big melting pot. This sort of took away their national identity and lowered the chances that there was going to be some kind of a revolt or rebellion. And that's what happened to these 10 tribes. They had just assimilated into Assyrian culture and the Assyrian nation. And so they were hated by the Jews who hadn't been captured by the southern kingdom, the Jews in Jerusalem. They were considered mongrels, half-breeds. They weren't, the, the Jews in Jerusalem didn't consider these Samaritans worthy of even a simple hello. So when she sees this man who it's obvious to her, I don't exactly know how, but it was obvious to her that he was a Jew, that she's just like, why are you even talking to me? And he responds by saying, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water, living water, water that's going to spring up inside of you to eternal life. Well, she's hot, she's tired, she's burdened down with guilt, with a heavy workload. And so the idea that she might never have to come to this well again is pretty enticing. So she says, where do I get this water? Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> I just lost my place. Uh, okay. All right, I knew I'm among friends today and that I know that you're going to have patience with me. So she asked him, where can she get this water? Well, I am not old enough to have had to go to the well and draw water for my family and carry it back. But in our family, we do have a water-carrying tradition and experience. I live in Lemonster. Our water in Lemonster is gross. It's just the way it is. I hope I'm not offending anybody on the water board, but it just doesn't taste very good. But my in-laws, who live in northern Maine, have this well that is spring-fed and has water that truly is delicious. This water tastes good. You could bottle it and serve it in one of the finest French restaurants. So when we go home, this is our water jug. We take this with us, we fill it up with water, stick it in the bathtub, fill it up at my in-law's house, carry it into the car. We have a car that carries our water. Lug it in the house, and then I'm kind of wrestling this thing into smaller pitchers without spilling one precious drop of this nectar. And for like two days, we have good water. I do this maybe once every six months. And this baby is heavy when it's full of water. That's why I didn't fill it today, because I didn't want to have to lift it. So I can kind of understand why this woman would be very excited about just getting rid of that job forever. Well, Jesus sees that she's not kind of on the same spiritual plane that he is. And so he takes the conversation in a different direction. He says, go get your husband and come on back. Well, now this is getting really personal. She, this is the part of her life that she's trying to hide and so she thinks for a minute and comes up with a clever response. I don't have a husband, she says. Now she's thinking Jesus is going to think one of two things. She's either never been married or she's a widow. And we can move on from this topic and go on to something a little bit safer. 
But we know how Jesus responds, right? He says, indeed, you don't have a, hus a husband now. You've had five of them, and the man that you're living with at this time isn't your husband. This is the point in the story where normally she would expect people to walk away. But Jesus didn't. He stayed. And so she stayed, too. At this point, she's upgraded Jesus from just your typical ordinary Jewish man to at least a prophet. So she starts asking a lot of questions. Well, the Jews worship in Jerusalem at the temple, and we worship at Mount Gerizim, and how are we supposed to really worship, and where do we worship? And there was a difference in what the Samaritans and the Jews considered scripture. And so she's getting all into all these religious questions. And Jesus just comes back and says, it doesn't matter how you worship or where you worship. The matter is who you worship. You need to worship God in spirit and in truth. You need to have a heart that's willing to accept the truth of the gospel and a heart that says, I will obey you. I believe that you are God. I will follow you. And when you have that obedient, faithful heart, that's all God asks. She's realized that at the moment Jesus sat down at that well and asked her for water, he knew her story from beginning to end. He knew that she was the outcast. He knew that she was immoral in many in the eyes of many, he knew that she was not a perfect Jewish woman. And yet, he made the choice to affirm her and to love her. He accepted her exactly as she was. But then he offered a better life and to create her anew through his salvation. Well, this is when the disciples come back. And, but just before they do, just as the disciples are walking up, she comes to the realization. She says, well, okay, that's all still really confusing to me, the religious part. But this one thing I know. I know that the Messiah is going to come, and one day he's going to explain all this stuff to us. And Jesus just looks at her and says, I'm he. It's when we can lay all of those things on the table that those secrets that we sometimes feel like we have to hide. I don't know about you, but I know that I've sat in groups like this feeling like if you really knew me, if you knew everything about me, you'd probably turn and reject me. And that was how she felt. But Jesus said, that's not who I am. I do know everything about you. And I'm here, and I stayed and I love you. I love you exactly as you are. This was a love that she had never, ever known in her life. And it, it changed her. She was not the same person when she left that she was when she met Jesus. She had been created anew. So Ephesians 2.10 has told us that we're God's masterpiece. We're beautiful. But we're not totally finished because... We do have that sinner's heart, and we need to be created anew in Christ. So when we're God's masterpiece, when we are created anew in Christ, then we can go out and do the good things he's planned for us to do. I love what comes next in the story. Now let's remember for a minute, why was this woman at the well in the middle of the day? 
right. She was the social outcast. She was the immoral one. She was the one that people just kind of went to the other side of the road, sheltered their children's eyes so they could look at this woman of ill repute. But what happens? She leaves that water jug behind. She's not thirsty anymore and runs into the village and says, you guys have got to come see this man that I just met. Could he be the Messiah? You've got to come. And they do. These people are so compelled and overwhelmed by her enthusiasm that they forget they hate her and they follow her to meet Jesus. And many of them believe as well. So if we are created anew through Christ's salvation and it's a gift, why do we bother with the good works anyway? What's the point? We've got a lot of confusion about what good works are, why we do them. Some people say, that's how you're going to get to heaven. Other people will say, well, it's my Christian duty. Other people say, it's just the right thing as a human to do. It's just what we're supposed to do. But Jesus showed his disciples shortly, just a few short hours before he would be arrested and ultimately crucified, what the point of good works were. Again, this is a familiar story. Jesus takes a basin of water, puts a towel, sticks it in his waistband, bends down and washes 120 dirty, stinky toes of his disciples. After he's done, he puts the basin away and says, you, fo- you disciples, you guys call me Lord and you call me teacher. And I am, you're right. So now, if I, your Lord and teacher, can wash your feet, you do it for one another. But later on in that chapter, this is John 13, he says, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Remain in my love. Stay there. Remember how much I love you. Get your confidence and strength. Things are going to get tough, but don't forget how much I love you. And then love one another. This is the trickle-down effect of love. As the Father loved Jesus, Jesus loved us, and we love one another. That's all that good works are. It's just the way that Christ's love overflows from us to someone else. Jesus didn't say to this woman, okay, now you've got it. Go back to the village and tell everyone. He didn't have to. It was just a natural response for her to take the love that she had been known and shown it to others. The reason that Ephesians 2.10 really jumped out at me that day in that book was because at that point in my life, I was really feeling like, what was I supposed to be doing? I felt like there was something that I was supposed to be doing for the greater good of God's kingdom. But at that point, Joel, my son, was a toddler, Janelle was in middle school. My older two daughters, Jessica and Johnny, were in high school. My days were spent being mom taxi, serving in the church nursery. I didn't even get to the church service very often, and I was feeling like pretty much a miserable Christian failure. And the Holy Spirit used the last part of that verse, that the good works that I'm supposed to do were already written into my story. They'd already been prepared. All I had to do was to stay in contact with the Father. Jesus modeled that for us when he was here. He prayed. He prayed before he chose the disciples. He prayed before he went to the cross. After a day of just being overwhelmed and crowded by people, he would pray. 
Jesus stayed in constant connection with the Father. And I really felt the sense of the Holy Spirit saying, that's all I'm asking of you. Stay in contact with me and have an obedient heart. Be willing to go where I tell you to go and to do what I tell you to do. And right now, what I'm telling you to do is to take care of your family. A few years after that, my family was grown. My youngest son, that toddler is now 17 and a senior in high school. My schedule changed and God gave me the opportunity to serve him with two of my best skills, driving and shopping. (laughs) I have had the amazing privilege of doing life together with some women who are living on the living on Devons, women who just amaze me with how they're taking care of their families and they are working hard to provide a good life for their children, a good life for themselves. And it has been my privilege to get to know these women, to go to the grocery store with them. I'm so excited that some of them are starting to become part of our church family. And it's just the joy that I have gotten from my friendships with these women, from the hugs when their kids come up (laughs) and and give me a hug, the joy that I have gotten far outweighs any sense of service that I do. God, if you just give him an open heart and a willing heart that says, okay, Lord, what do you want to do with me today? He is going to wow you with where he takes you. We were talking about that in the kitchen. So many times I've heard people say, I'm doing something that I never thought I would do. But God just opened that door and led the way. So if we can just remember that we are God's masterpiece. And when we're created anew in Christ, then whatever the good works are, are just going to be a natural outpouring of Christ's love for us. I really like what Pastor Neil said on Sunday, that there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And there's nothing we can do to make him love us less. And I think that when we really embrace that, I know that this is, it's been a lifetime for me trying to really grasp that truth, that God's love was the same at the beginning of time as it is today. I can't do anything to change it because it is so amazingly great already. That when I can stand in that confidence and serve him out of that, then the adventures that he has for me are just going to be amazing. So now we come to the time where we reveal the mystery of the mugs. Some of you, I think, may have looked at this as a decluttering exercise, but that's not quite what it's going to be. (laughs) I want everyone to pick up the mug that you brought or the mug that you chose. If you don't have one, we will find you one, because everybody needs a mug. Okay, is there anybody who doesn't have a mug? Seriously, this is not an optional activity. If you don't have a mug, we will get you one. (laughs) Okay, raise your hand if you don't have a mug. As my friend would say, don't make me use my teacher voice. (laughs) All right, I want you to take your mug, 
And on the table are Sharpies. I want you to write your name on the bottom of that mug with one of the Sharpies. You can do just your first name or you can do your whole name, whatever you prefer. Yes, it has to be able to be read. Just your first name is fine. All right. When everybody is done putting your name on it, I want you to turn it over and put some water in it. You don't necessarily have to fill it, but just put a little bit of water in your mug. God bless you. <laughs> All right. Now, you are going to take your mug with the water in it. You're going to hand it to the woman on your right. And you're going to tell her your name, if you don't already know her name. And you're going to tell her one thing about you. It can be as random a fact. The last book that you read, how many children you have, the place that you were imagining when we did our exercise earlier. Just tell the woman that you give your mug to one thing about yourself and make sure she knows your name. So we're just going to pass one mug to the right, and it's just, you know, every, the first person at the table starts, tells her name. Okay, so Karen will pass hers to Leslie. Tell Leslie her name. Tell something about her. Leslie will pass it to Nadine. Nadine to Michelle. Michelle to Ellen. Okay. That's true. Huh? <gasps> yeah. <laughs> is it? You can have this because this is. I would love that. Vote. This was. No, we don't want this. Well, do you have a mug, though, Michelle? You need a mug. So do you, is that the one that you got? So that's Michelle. Yeah, that's your mug. So yeah, the one that Mary passed to you. So no, that's the one that you need. But thank you. I do love it. That's great. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> I hate to break up the conversation, but we can talk afterwards. I'm trying to make sure we're out of here by 10 and to honor that. All right. Now that you have a mug in front of you, everybody should have a new mug for their cupboard. I want you to take this home, and I want you to use it. When you pull this mug out of your cupboard, I want you to look at the bottom, remember whose it is, and then to just think about that person. Shoot her an email and say, hey, how you doing? Or maybe give her a phone call. If you want to, you can go really old school and write a card and put it in the mail. <laughs> you can invite her over to visit her mug and have coffee with you. <laughs> or you can make a special effort on Sunday to, to hunt for her and say, hey, how is your week doing? The, I want these mugs to be a visual reminder of how Christ's love is overflowing among this community of women at Hope Chapel and how we are here to support, to love, and to encourage one another as we're walking in faith and in life together. So thank you so much for coming this morning. The food was delicious. Thank you. Everything was so good. And... I have one more real quick announcement, and then I'll close us in prayer. Next Saturday, there is an, an event at Emanuel Church in Chelmsford, um, sponsored by By Design Ministries. If any of you are familiar with Vision New England, they're, they're, what used to be their women's ministry is now By Design, and they are having a 25th birthday celebration, which will be all day from 9 to 4 there are going to be some amazing speakers there. Maggie Rowe, who originally was the women's director for this Vision New England Women's Ministry, is the keynote speaker, Lucinda McDowell, Gail McDonald. If none of you have ever heard or read Gail McDonald's books, I highly recommend them. She is just one of the most faithful, humble, wise women of God I've ever known. Um, so I'm going to be going to this event, and if anybody else would like to carpool or go with me, you can talk to me for more information. There's a sign-up sheet on the women's ministry counter and some little postcards that say a little bit more about it. If anybody is at all interested in that, just let me know. All right, I'm going to close this in prayer, and we can go and enjoy this, like Betsy said, amazing fall, summer afternoon. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. I just pray that you would help us, as Ephesians 3 says, to know you deeper and to be rooted and grounded in the great love you have for us. Lord, I just ask that each one of us will really believe that we're your masterpiece and that we can share the love that you've given us with those around us. We just praise you and worship you for being our great God. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>